I was still thinking too small. I was still thinking too small. If you're like, <laughs> and I know for a lot of you listening, that sounds crazy. Hey, how's it going? Welcome to the Tef Podcast. Some of you might recognize my voice. It's your boy, Ayman, from the Table Moments Podcast, starting a whole new thing related to life, motivation, business, and big ideas. This week, we're going to talk about motivation. It's a hard thing to maintain over time. I've noticed (laughs) when you take on something big, the likelihood of focus and dedication for a really long time, which anything big requires a long amount of effort, a long amount of consistent effort. And that consistency doesn't mean that you don't have lows. It doesn't mean you, in the grand scheme of things, when we're talking about the timelines of years, consistency means that maybe 300 out of the 350 days, no, 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 no. Now let's let's do to be a little more generous. Probably like two hundred and fifty out of the three hundred and fifty-six out of the year, the rest of the year of constant effort might be consistent over the lifetime of ten years. However, if you're consistent all the time, then you'll just accelerate the results. Now one thing it's like it's it's really hard to maintain motivation when you don't see results for a really long time. And sometimes, especially if it's something that will take years to build, that will be the case. It will be, you're putting all this time and effort, maybe most of which is, won't result in anything tangible at the end of it. But my contention is that any effort is never wasted effort. So as long as you put effort into the things that you're working on, you're gonna learn, you're gonna learn something. And instead of being lazy about doing things, why not put maximum effort into everything that you do? Or at least if it's something that you're, deciding to do by yourself, you're self-motivated, then why wouldn't you put 100% effort into it? Like do the really best you could, the really best you can. Now I get it, if you're working a job for some person or corporation especially, and you really don't give a shit about the work, I get it. I, I, re- I remember being there. It is a miserable experience having people tell you what to do. Like I remember when I first started my corporate job, I was, I was, <laughs> I was just excited and ready to get started working and taking on projects. Actually, when I first got hired, they told me, hey, the thing that we hired you for, this big project, yeah, that's gonna be delayed for another year because it was a government-funded project and government shut down and they decided not to fund this project. So like, hey, we'll, <laughs> we'll put you out on loan to this other team and have you work on some other stuff. And I was like, all right, that's fine. I don't care, a job's a job. And I get to design and I got lucky enough to be on the design side of engineering. There are, do you realize there are people with engineering degrees whose whole job it is to write documentation? That shit sucks. All you do is write words and <laughs> we had this term for it. It's called wordsmithing. <laughs> you're wordsmithing <laughs> when you're writing documentation and then it's weird because you have to be precise but also people in that space are also very nitpicky and they take their job super, super seriously and so you could end up rewriting something describing procedures or detailed design of something and then have your boss or lead engineer review it and say, no, nah, do it again, do it again, do it again. And I'm like, thank God I'm not a part of that shit. I, don't, I would have quit engineering right there and then if I got 
if I was put on that side of the team. But luckily, I was I was put on the the design side. And so I, I was put on loan to this other group. They needed something designed. I go and I'm like, all right, let me think about all the ways I could build this because it was like an interesting. It was a good beginner project because it's work that's been done before, but. I have to size it for this new application for this larger thing. And so I'm like, all right, cool. Let me look at, we could do it like this. We could do it like that. We could do it like this. And this is the, like the problem solving, you know, the kind of stuff that you got to do in school. Well, I propose a bunch of stuff and then they're like, yeah, no, just do it like the other one. Like we've done it before, except just a little bigger. <laughs> That's it. That's all I had to do. And then, and then I'm like, are you serious? Like, yeah, just, just do it like that. Do your calculations to show that it's going to meet the factor of safety required for this type of equipment. Do the write-up in MathCAD and then write the whole documentation. So most of your time as an engineer is not actually doing calculations, at least when you're working for a government laboratory. It's mostly writing up your work and justifying the decisions in for why you made. And then I'm like, this is my job. This is my fucking job. And then the timelines they would give me. It was so long. They were giving me like three months to work on this shit. I don't need three months. This is not a hard thing to do. I'm, all, I'm just taking what was done before, making it a little bigger, writing the calculations, and then justifying it. And here are the calculations. They show the physics will work. That's it. Why do you give me three months? But they gave me three months. And I'm like, so I do the work, and I'm like, I'm fucking bored. I'm fucking bored. That's, that's largely the reason why I went to grad school. I don't give a fuck about degrees. I don't. I went to grad school because I was getting dumber by working. All day, I would just spend at work, like, doing mind-numbing shit or trainings or reading documentation or writing documentation. It's just this, like, endless cycle of boring. And I just needed some sort of stimulation. So I decided, you know what? Let me let me do grad school. At least that'll give me some excitement, some mental stimulation. I don't know. I don't know about you guys, but, like, my mind just needs to be doing something. Like, I got to be reading something. I got to be learning something. My wa mind wanders all the time, which is why I have a hard time with focus. But I'm always just thinking all the time. And so, like, I understand what it's like to be in that role. Like, when you're working for somebody and they're telling you what to do, it's like, then I, I could even see it in myself. I started caring less and less about the work. Less and less. And eventually I'm like, not doing anything at work at all. Just wasting my time. It's like anytime something needed to be done, I would just wait till the last second to do it. I would do it. And then it was like, whatever. Who cares? I never cared. Because it's like, it's such mind-numbing work. And I understand being like that, why would you put 100% effort in it? Now, I, I remember working with people who did. I even remember working with, I had a coworker who'd been at the, the government laboratory for like decades, bro. And this guy enjoyed reading documentation. It's fucking crazy. He would like spend late. He would stay in the office late. And in his off time, he would be doing like uh, design work that he would get paid for. But when he's at work, he's like reading documentation and actually enjoys it enjoys reading and i'm just like i remember <laughs> i had a reputation for falling asleep but that's a whole other story <laughs> just because like meetings get boring but i get it like why put 100 percent effort in something you don't even care about that's so boring and i get it like i wouldn't say you do that but if it is something that you are working on yourself and you're putting out you're deciding to do this work why not put effort why not put effort why not do the best you can obviously when you're starting off something and you're learning and you're trying to figure something out. You you don't know enough to know when you're doing something badly. You don't know enough to know how to make it better, how to improve it. And this goes with anything. You want to write some software, same thing. Like you're going to make a bunch of mistakes. It's going to take you way longer to write your first program than it is going to to write your 10th because you're going to be making a bunch of mistakes. And then also you're going to not realize 
how to write your code efficiently or design it well so that you're not doing a bunch of redundant tasks or wasting computing power because your code isn't written efficiently. I'm having this problem with this this app I'm building. So part of this podcast is talking about like the work I'm doing with Tef and I'm building a social media posting app. I got the basic functions of it working where you post some content, put some text and connect a few platforms, whichever ones we have, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok. And then you hit send and it sends right away. Cool. It, that actually works. It legitimately works. It's it's crazy. But six months ago, I didn't know. Six months from the record, this recording, I didn't know any of this shit. I didn't know the simple things of software, what a GET request was. I didn't know how to use Postman. It was wild. But now I do. And now I can implement features pretty quickly. But I didn't know before. But then now I'm looking at my old, the code I was writing to get the basic functionality down and realized how many mistakes I've made. How I've set myself up for more work now because I have to redo a lot of it. And that's where it's like hard to stay motivated. Like I have to go and do all that work. It's not hard work either. It's just busy work. It's like, how do I rearrange this code so it's more maintainable so that it's more concise and easier to read and understand and then also runs more efficiently, but it's not challenging work. And so that's my dilemma. Like it's, it's going to be boring work, but it needs to be done. It needs to be done eventually. I think I can get away with not doing that right now. But eventually, and then also there's all these other like small things like, I'm not going to talk about it. This isn't going to be a technical podcast either. I don't think that's useful for listeners and whatever, but and stuff, but. And so you're in this, you get into this dilemma where now the work's not stimulating anymore, but it's work that needs to be done, but it's worth doing better. And so it's like, if you're working on something that you decide to take on, you're going to suck, you're going to get better. And as you get better, you're going to look back and realize how bad your original work was. And I've noticed it with software. I've even noticed it with music too. I like making instrumentals on Logic Pro. This Apple product you basically take a bunch of loop. All I've been doing is taking a bunch of loops and composing, basically composing music together and realizing that like the first instrumentals I made are not nearly as good as the ones I'm making now. And even then I still have way more to learn and improve on. And here's the thing. There's also this idea of failing publicly, building in public. So a lot of people get struggle with having struggle with putting things out. They're not comfortable sharing things because of, I don't know, maybe fear or embarrassment or they feel it's not good enough. And so by not publishing, you don't ever get feedback. And by not getting feedback, you don't improve. And so there's this whole idea of building in public. Share, share. And you're going to fail a lot. And it's okay. It's okay that people know that you're bad. It's okay because you will get better. So what I've been doing with this music stuff is publishing it. I'm publishing it. It's available everywhere. It's under under the, if you guys want to look it up, it's under Tefkas, T-E-F-K-A-S. It has nothing to do with Tef. It's just, it, it stands for, it's an acronym. It, it stands for the engineer formerly known as Samir. That's my real name, Samir. It's probably the only time I'll ever say my real name on this podcast. So now you know. But the idea is I'm publishing these things. And then I labeled the songs, each one with a 1.0 on them. And the reason for that is versioning. It's the numbering system that's typically used in software where you use numbers to decide the 
the version of software, if it's a major release, a minor release, or it's a bug fix, all that. And so I put that in the song too, knowing full well that this is the best I could do at the time, but it will be better. I can go back and re revise the song and then it, there will be a 2.0 or a 3.0. Or if it's a minor version where I change where, like the sample rates, I didn't even know about sample rates until I talked to a friend of mine about it who's been producing music for years. Talking about sample rates and realizing like my sample rate was too low and now I can actually hear the difference between a high sample rate and a low sample rate. At the beginning, I didn't know it. I really didn't know. I didn't know the difference between it. But you can definitely hear the difference and the sound is much more higher quality when you build your music using a higher sample rate. And so like a minor release of a song is just going to be switching the sample rate from from 44 kilohertz or 48 kilohertz to 96 kilohertz. And there is an improvement and that would be a minor release. And then a major release would be where I'm actually improving the song. So maybe making it longer, maybe adding more vocals or maybe adding more better transitions or maybe even more instruments to make it more enhance the song. Because I'm thinking like, why can't we treat music like we treat software? Why can't you improve a song over time? Why do you have to release and then it's fixed forever? You know, it doesn't have to be. You can improve things. And I know that I sucked at the beginning and I continue to suck, but I'll, I'm getting better over time. And so I want to be able to go back and improve any one of the songs that I have published already. And I actually, I really enjoy the music I have now that I've published because primarily the kind of listen, music I listen to now, just because I've been making it, music without lyrics, because there's this idea that lyrics have this influence on your psychology. And so you have to be careful about the music you listen to because music with negative or dark language can influence your psychology. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but I think the way I listen to music, I just listen to the sound itself and the melody. And so I don't know the lyrics to a lot of the songs I listen, used to listen to. I just don't. And so the idea with the music thing is I'm publishing it in public and I use it in videos all the time. Like whenever I need music, I use it in a video, I use it. One, I don't have to worry about copyright, and two, I am building in public. You're getting to hear it. Now, one time in one of these videos I've published as part of the other podcast I do on social media, someone was like, yo, the epic music really sets off the, the, the thing. And then I was like, yeah, it was the music I put together and could share the link. And so I am building in public. And so that's the thing, like building in public is a really important thing. And it's, it's something that's hard to do. And I get it. It's hard to do, even for me with the softer stuff. I technically have a product that's ready to use. I don't have payment set up, but I do have a product that you can use. You can submit content and it'll share. Now, right now I'm trying to get over the hang up of like, oh, there's all these mistakes and bugs and all that, that I, I kind of want to like figure out, but it's probably just an excuse for not launching. And I'm realizing that right now that I'm just using this as an excuse to not launch. So like right after this, I'm just going to have to go and publish because I've been working on adding this feature for scheduling because I think that's a pretty important one to have for this app where if you want to post content, you'll probably also want to dictate what days and times that content will be published. So I actually just figured out how to do that. And so I think I'm just going to finish that up, wrap that up real quick and then 
release it and then work, work on the payment stuff while people are using it. I'll just like have people send me Stripe payments if, if they want to. And that's another thing. It's like asking people to pay for something that you just built that you didn't know how to build six months ago and then built it and then having people use it. It's kind of crazy to me, man. <laughs> Software is a wild world, man. Wild world. Like I can use things that are basically free. All of it's free, basically. Like the platform I'm using, Firebase, is basically a, a way to store and host and share your app. And it's all basically just a website. But it can feel like an app on your phone because of the, the software I'm using. And the social platforms I'm connecting to, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, and TikTok, all of them, free. Free access to be able to share content on their platforms. I don't pay for those. I only pay if uh, for the hosting stuff, the Firebase, where the app is being hosted. But it's so cheap. We're talking like literally, I think they charged me two cents for last month. Two cents. I mean, obviously, the there isn't much traffic. It's just me sending stuff. But that's the scale of the cost. It's literally going to be in the dollars for the first maybe 10 to 20 users. It's really going to cost me maybe a couple dollars the whole month in terms of services that I'm using. But it's like, how do I get into the mindset of charging people for something that I built when I'm... I don't know. Maybe it's like imposter syndrome. Imposter syndrome is like that idea where you don't fit in, where you don't belong. You just like you end up achieving or doing things or maybe you're this happens often in like colleges, universities where people who come from underprivileged places or poor backgrounds end up getting into college and they feel like they don't fit in. Like you're just a fraud and someone's going to figure it out that you don't belong that's what imposter syndrome is. And I think I'm feeling that a little bit because, I mean, <laughs> I still wouldn't identify as a software developer, <laughs> even though I've essentially built an app. <laughs> it's just, no. Nah. And then I'm going to charge people for this, like 30 bucks a month. Whoa, that's crazy. That's crazy. I don't know, man. So I just, I guess I just got to get over it. People need this tool. And there are competitors out there, but they're not designed for simplicity. Like one of the biggest players right now for this app, the social media posting app is Hootsuite. They're a Canadian company. And if you look them up, it's a pretty terrible interface. I could not figure out how to use it at all. And they have thousands of customers. If I can just snatch a few of them away, bro, that's, that's the whole idea behind this. That's the whole idea behind this. And you know, there's no guarantees that this idea will work either after I launch, like, and I had this conversation with my brother. I was showing him the app that I put together. He's like, oh, wow, you you learned how to do the hard part of a business, of an internet business. And I'm like, no, 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 no. <laughs> Building the app is the easy part. It's been a hard journey to just get here, but that's the easy part. The hard part is the distribution. The hard part is the selling. The hard part's the marketing. The hard part is getting customers. That's the hard part. People completely misunderstand how hard it is. Now, if you have things that people already have demand for, it makes it much easier, but think like, what if you're creating something that doesn't exist in the market at all? It's something radically new. You might just be too early. And that happens to people. Like DoorDash was not the first food delivery app. It was just the first one to be successful. They got their timing right. They got their market right. And a lot of it is luck. And so it's crazy. Like you can spend all this time building something, especially from the ground up. And if there isn't already a market for it, then you are taking a bet. You're taking a bet that people will understand what you're doing here. Same thing with Airbnb. It's like such a crazy idea. You're going to rent 
space in your house and people would rent it from you so that they could stay in your house. You know, Airbnb originally meant required an airbed. It used to be airbed and breakfast. They call it airbed and breakfast because it was an actual airbed. You had to have an airbed. That's how crazy and radical the idea was. You would inflate an airbed in a room in your house and someone would rent that bed from you. It's crazy. And somehow they were able to figure it out. Just because they were able to figure out, you don't hear about the failures. You don't hear about the failures. So then when you're faced with this and you understand like how often, like through practice, you'll get the experience of like trying things, failing, trying things, failing, especially if you're doing it publicly, you'll, <laughs> people will know. I think the cool thing about Silicon Valley is they're used to failure. It's a very common thing in that space. And so there is no mark of shame when it comes to someone who has tried something and failed before. In other areas of life, failure is seen as a very, very bad thing. You go to school, you have 12 years of schooling that taught you that failing was a bad thing. You get an F on your paper. That's a bad thing. No, failure is a good thing. The major thing is you learn from it. You got practice and you learn skills. You learn skills. You learn one way of not doing something. It really is a learning experience. And you also develop as a person because of that failure. Through the practice, you try a bunch of things. Like this happens a lot, in, apparently in the software world, where people start something, fails, they start something again, fails. It's usually like uh, after a number of tries at bat, they end up getting something that works. But with all that failure and faced with failure, the likelihood of failure just facing you all the time, it's very hard to stay motivated. You kind of have to have an iron mind for this because it's hard not to compare yourself to other people. I, I don't do it because I realize my game plan is in 10 years, my timeline's in 10 years, and I've gotten used to that. I, and I think I naturally am a contrarian, so I see everyone doing something else. I naturally, I, I naturally take the opposite position or take the opposite path, just because like, I don't have faith in populations figuring things out or doing things the right way. And so for me, it doesn't affect me much, but for a lot of people, it does. Like you see everyone else, you know, they're advancing in life. They're taking the promotion. They're getting the jobs. They're getting a pay raise. They're having the house, the car, all that. And then you would have to be essentially crazy to be like, no, none of that's for me. I'm going to go do the software thing. And it doesn't even have to be software. It could even be like a, a small business too. It's like, I'm going to do this thing. But you make a sacrifice. There is a sacrifice, an opportunity cost of not pursuing those things. But then there's a cost for those people who decide that by not doing the whole forge your own path kind of thing. They do have a safer path and there's nothing wrong with that. That is one way to be successful in life. There are standard ways, get an education, get a job, work hard, get promotions, switch jobs, get higher salaries, take on more and more responsibility. And that is a very legitimate way to be successful. But not for me, not for me. I tried that. It was miserable. It's a miserable experience. And so like I can understand people having a hard time taking forging their own path because it's hard to be motivated while everyone advances and it appears like you're standing still when you're not. And that's the shift, the mental shift I think people need to make. When you're deciding to work on something on your own, you are you're growing way faster than everybody around you. They won't realize it and you won't realize it because one, you're in it. So you don't realize how much you've grown until you look back at the work that you were doing before and the work that you're doing now, or you compare like, where were you six months ago? Where were you now? Where are you in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? But people who are working on a job aren't developing that quickly. 
because they are specialized. They have one role to do. They do that role well, but they're not learning things that complement each other. Like when it, when you're starting a business, you have to learn everything. One, you probably don't have the money to hire people to do all the other things for you. So you really got to learn it all for yourself. And so you end up learning so much so fast, so much so fast. And in failure, you learn way more too. So the development that happens when you try something on your own is much faster. But at the same time, it also makes you unhirable because it's hard to take orders from somebody after you've been like used to your own schedule and doing your own thing, you know? But like if you make that mental shift, you can realize, okay, my plan is 10 years from now. And what do I have to be doing now in order for things to pay off 10 years from now? There's no guarantees any particular path or any particular pursuit will strike oil, will hit gold, but just the practice and habits that are built that you're building by doing this will get you there. And that's a hard thing to explain. And I don't have the results to prove that right now, but I think I will. No, no, no I know I will. Why am I saying think? I know. I know I'll have the results to prove it one day. So that's why I make these this kind of content. That's why I make the, the content that I put on TEF, the, the TEF socials on TikTok and Instagram and all that. Because it's like, I know I can't back it up right now. I'm operating on faith. But once I do, all the stuff I'm saying right now will look prophetic. But it's not. This has been proven in this space by people who've done it already. Now, I'm just saying it because maybe this is being exposed to an audience that normally otherwise wouldn't know about the kind of this kind of stuff in this space, in the startup world. But this is how it goes. This is how it goes. And so, like, if you figure out your end goal, the timelines that you're operating in, and you realize the practice and habits and the things that you're going to need to learn in order to get there, then willing to try a bunch of things and do it in public so you can get a lot of feedback, eventually, inevitably, something will hit and then it you get success. Now, typically how we define success is money, but I think it's beyond that. It's like, how many people have you helped? How many people can you help? And by helping a lot of people, you make money. To me, money is just a tool. I, I really don't care about money as, as a thing like I think most people do. To me, it's just like, all right, I can feed myself, I can shelter myself. That's all I need. That's really all I need. Now, there are things that I wish I could do. It's mostly like learning. So I'd like to learn how to fly. I do have the money for it, but I don't have the time for it. I would like to build things just because I would want to race. So I'd like to build like a, a race car. I want to learn how to race on a racetrack and like compete with people. As far as the nice things in life, well, I've, I've never really been motivated by it. I would like to afford to regularly afford better airplane seats because I'm a tall guy and I just need the legroom. But aside from that, like I don't desire being pampered. I don't desire a leisured life. And I don't know why people do. It seems like a very boring existence. So you just sit around and eat and look at things. That's it. That's a life. Do you want any challenges? Do you want any struggles or hardships that make life worth living? You know, I think... I I don't know. Maybe I'm just different. But so, yeah, staying motivated. That's a hard thing. It's a very hard thing when you're taking this path, especially if you're not don't have the personality that's inclined for this kind of thing. I think I do have some advantages in my personality to be able to tolerate a lot of the the stuff. But in the end, it's it hits everybody. It hits everybody. So I'm still figuring it out. But I like making this content because if I'm right and I do make it out of this, then 
I look like a fucking genius by publishing all this shit. It's like, hey, I was doing it before I had it. This is this is the mindset. This was always the mindset. And I think it really does come down to mindset. Like when you see people who are successful, it's not. Yeah, some people got luckier. Some people had easier times. Some people had head starts. But the ones who really made it like it, it all comes down to mindset. They don't have limiting mindsets. You might notice a lot of people around you just think too small, way too small. Like if you're not shooting big, are you even really living? Like why not think big? Why not shoot big? Even if you don't get there, even just getting 10% of the way there is going to be further than not even thinking big at all. So think big. And do you have to say it publicly? No. I mean, just write it to yourself. Write it down. Write your affirmations. Affirmations are a good thing, I think. At least it helps you keep focused and understand what you're working towards. Now, eventually, my goal, I write nearly every day, every day on a notepad. I have it right here. You can hear it. I used to write, I will be a billionaire. I'd write that every day. And I still write it every day. And I have all the notes, notepads. I'm collecting them. So I think like when I when I do get there, it'll be really cool to have all those notepads. So it would have been like a five, 10 year project of just writing this shit down. And then finally just dumping it on the table. And I said I did it. I was going to do it and I did it. But then I, I listened to Dan Pena. He's a guy who worked in oil. He made a lot of money and he runs this whole like mindset program thing. But one of the he, he mentioned on one of his podcasts that one of his b- biggest regrets in life was thinking too small. He said he was going to be a billionaire and he did. And then but regretted it because he should have aimed bigger. And then I realized I should aim bigger too. <laughs> so I switched it up. Instead of writing, I will be a billionaire, I now write, I will be a deca billionaire. So that's 10 billion. Because like, why not? I, I was thinking, I was still thinking too small. I was still thinking too small. If like, <laughs> and I know for a lot of you listening, that sounds crazy. How is that possible? Well, I mean, if you understand the math of the markets and how businesses operate, it's like, it's it's a hard goal for sure. It's hella hard, but it's not unreasonable if you're willing to put in the work and make the sacrifices. Like, let's think about it. Like a lot of these billion dollar companies, multi-billion dollar companies, like their multiples on revenue, their, their value. And if you're talking about the wealth of somebody, it's about the assets that they own. So if you are a large owner of a business that's worth multiple billions of dollars, if you have a small, a large enough fraction of that, you're a billionaire. This doesn't mean a billion dollars in the bank. This just means assets. What's your net worth? And that's what it would be. Like you could do the math and you look at the multiples of some, especially these software companies, it's kind of insane. Like a software company with a, a certain amount of revenue, their market cap, their actual value on the markets, usually it could be as high as 25, 50 times what their revenue, which has been insane, at least in the past. It's dropped lately, but it could easily pick back up. And so the number isn't really that high in of revenue that you have to generate in order to become a billionaire. It's not that high, especially if you're in a field like software, which is largely the reason why I'm focusing on it, on it almost entirely. Cause like hardware is hard to do and they don't scale as well. So the beauty of software is it can expand. You can grow the customer base. The cost of reproduction is basically zero. So the cost of creating another unit of product is basically zero cause it's just code. If I want to add another user to this app, it's easy. They can literally sign themselves up and now a new account's created, all the things, tracking their information and publishing their content, all automated. Literally cost me nothing of time and money 
to add another user. However, if it's a, a product, a real thing in the world, then that comes with cost, that comes with labor. That's why it's easier if you're in software to be able to achieve goals like that. And so that's part of the reason. Now, another way to do it is energy, but energy requires a lot of money, upfront money. And I don't have expertise or access to that kind of wealth. So it's very logical. Once you understand where you want to go, it's like, all right, so what are the things you're going to work on? Well, if you want to get to a billion, probably software, probably software, because that's probably the easiest way to do it in a short enough time. Because like there are other ways to do it. Like there are billion dollar corporations that do hardware or things in the physical space or service industries. But if you look at those companies, those are really, really, really old companies. We're talking like 50, 60, 70, 100 year old companies. And it took that much time to get to that scale. But with software, because the cost of reproduction is so low, it can happen much faster. Now, is that necessarily a good thing for the long term? Probably not. Probably not. That's why it's so easy to like be usurped by a startup that's competing with you, a software startup that's competing with you because it's like, boom, they can just take your place and that can happen. So the longevity isn't there, maybe. But, you know, if you're trying to get to that goal in a reasonable amount of time within a decade or so, software is the way to do it. And so it narrows your focus. So writing your affirmations down narrows the things, the decision you'll have to make. And so that's why I decided software. That's the only way to do it. I love hardware. I like working in the physical stuff. I like working with my hands. But in order for me to get there to the billion, only way to do that, at least at, in a reasonable way and reachable way is software. And that's why I'm learning it. So yeah. And so like I write these affirmations to stay motivated so I can keep doing this stuff so I can continue making progress. And sometimes it's like you just don't have it. Sometimes you just don't have the energy. That happens to me. It's been happening to me lately. Like I just like I don't feel like writing any code right now. It is just so, I'm not naturally suited for this stuff either. I like working with my hands, but the software stuff can be a drag sometimes, especially when you're just staring at a screen all day for hours. And reading document, I don't know, I just haven't been motivated lately. But I try, I, I make a goal to at least make progress in some way on the, on the thing. So today was, okay, I needed to figure out the schedule. I figured out the scheduling like yesterday or the day before. And then today I'm going to actually implement the thing. And then so that scheduling works at least locally. And then tomorrow I'll probably deploy and troubleshoot. And then probably the next day I'll work. I'll start the first step of payments. I don't know. This has just been a bunch of ramblings, but hopefully it's been cohesive enough to for you guys to get any useful stuff out of it. I think this is something I'm going to be doing every few days, maybe whenever the mood strikes me. I would like to do one a week, but I don't know what the editing process for this is going to look like. If it's e as easy as one listen through, cut out the silences and cut out the repetitious stuff, that's actually pretty easy to do. And maybe I'm going to keep these under 30 minutes. And if you have any feedback, DM any of the TEF accounts and we can talk more about this stuff. I have a lot of thoughts about a lot of different things. This will be exclusive to life, mindset, psychology, and business. I think, I think that would be good for TEF. And if you're wondering where the name, what TEF is, TEF is the smallest green in the world. It comes from the region of Africa that my family's from, uh, East Africa, the Horn of Africa. And it's often used to make this flatbread called injera. And it was the name, the name of the company that will be building software for creators to help them grow. <laughs> oh man, so that's that. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.